0: On today's show, an examination of the fine line between winning and losing in college football and the NFL. Before we get there, I would love to give you one reason why gambling should be legal everywhere. Tonight, Monday Night Football, Buffalo Bills on the road, Tennessee Titans. The Buffalo Bills are minus six. We will be riding with them. I know, I know this is a trap game. I'm willing to admit I'm a complete sucker here. But I also understand that certain quarterbacks can transcend the trap game. I've seen it for over a decade as a Packers fan with Aaron Rodgers. And I think we are there with Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. I'm ready to worship at his altar. Give me more. He is incredible. He's currently, in my opinion, the MVP of football. The Bills, they're possibly the best team. Allen, possibly the best quarterback. They've steamrolled the bad teams placed in front of them, the Houston Texans, the Miami Dolphins. And unfortunately, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going on record as saying the Tennessee Titans, they are also a bad team. That's why I'll be laying the six with Buffalo and Josh Allen in a trap game that I know everyone on planet Earth will be betting the Buffalo Bills in. And we have our reason why gambling should be legal everywhere. So I can boost my confidence by believing that I, a man who is worth $10, knows more than bookmakers. Men and women who make millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars off of people just like me. And now, Sports with Chris Raw. Welcome to Monday on the Margins, a weekly tradition on this show where every Monday... I go over the fine line between winning and losing in college football, in the NFL, and in the world of sports gambling. Ladies and gentlemen, I have news for you. Uh, It is not easy to do anything in any of those sports, in any of those realms. Nothing comes easy in gambling, uh, in the NFL, in college football. Nothing, 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 nothing. Now, you know that the weekend starts on Thursday night you know that Thursday night is kind of a harbinger of things to come. What happens there? What funky, weird thing happens? You know, it's just going to spread and seep into the weekend. So Thursday night, the Buccaneers are playing the Eagles. It's not a particularly memorable game. The Buccaneers, they're favored by a touchdown. The total set at 53. The problem is there exists some law in the universe. I don't know who made it, If I did, I would go and berate them and say, you're very rude, and this has made me feel very bad about myself many times. But there's a law that exists in the universe that says nothing in the NFL, especially when it comes to betting, can come easy. Not anything. No matter how easy you think it's going to be, as soon as the game has begun, it won't come easy. So the first quarter's happening, and the over looks like it's a lock. They're zipping up and down the field. We got 21 points in the blink of an eye. The Buccaneers, as the game's winding on, they look like a mortal lock to cover the seven because by the third quarter, they're up 28-7. And it just seems like you can sit there and go, "Ah," you know, nice, easy, breezy Thursday night. Nothing crazy to see here. We move on to Friday and Saturday and Sunday and we go from there. However, nothing is easy. There's a law that exists. I don't know who made it. I really don't. I think it might be in the Bible somewhere. I, I honestly don't know. I haven't read the Bible, but it's somewhere and it exists. So... The Eagles, who have not been able to move the ball whatsoever, all game. They finagle a touchdown somehow, and the Buccaneers, they're trying to close it out. They're still up by two touchdowns. They have a fourth and two near midfield that they end up going for it. They do not get it. So now the Eagles, with time winding down, they have a short field. They drive down with a chance to get on the push number, right? They go and they score a touchdown. So now they're down by eight. And everybody assumes, okay, they're going to send out the field goal unit. They'll kick it. Buccaneers backers, they're going, oh man, I can't believe I'm going to get a push on this game that I thought was a lock. Eagles backers are going, what an incredible gift given to me from above that I could possibly get a push out of all this garbage. And instead, Philly does the analytically sound thing, which is they go for two. Pretty simple idea. If you engage with a two-point conversion as a coin flip, you say, if we're down by 14 points, let's go for two on the first touchdown. If we get it, great. We're playing with house money. We can kick the extra point next time for the win. If we don't get it, we assume that the next coin flip will go our way. Thus, we're scoring 14 points either way. That's the idea behind going for two when you're down by eight points, at the end of a game. So Philly does that. It sets off a firestorm of a debate in the announcer's booth. Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, you know, announcers, they have it written into their contracts. They can't ever fathom why any coach would make an aggressive decision based upon analytics. So they're going, oh, I don't, What what's going on here? Every Tampa Bay backer is having their stomach turn over because they're going, oh no, I've seen this story. I know how it ends. It's just a kick right where you don't want it. And indeed it was because Philly, a team that was down and out, that could not move the ball. They were down by three touchdowns. Somehow storms back right at the end, gets that two-point conversion. The game ends 28-22, Tampa Bay with the win, Philadelphia covers the seven, the total goes under despite the torrid start, and as that's happening, I go, all right, we're in for it. You just know you're in for it this weekend. Whatever happens on Thursday, it weasels its way into everything else. You know, it's the funkiness that comes with following these crazy sports, college football and the NFL, and gambling upon them. So we move into Saturday which was significantly less funky than last Saturday. One of the most memorable Saturdays of college football in the last decade, honestly. Uh, And this was kind of the come down. However, there's lots of very interesting things to talk about when it comes to the national title picture, when it comes to individual bets, and when it comes to just the separation on any given Saturday between this team versus this team. I'll start with Kentucky against Georgia, because Georgia has ascended to... Pedestal of number one alone by themselves, unquestioned. They're hosting Kentucky on Saturday, who's a top 12 team in their own right. However, they're enormous underdogs, 21 and a half points. Kentucky is getting uh, the total set at 44 and a half. I'm looking at that line and saying, this stinks so bad. I can't go anywhere near it. Because Kentucky, they've looked good, and yet they're getting over three touchdowns. I don't know what to do with that information. The total, I think, is tasty because every... Georgia game is an automatic underbet for me. Georgia has taken over from Alabama as the king of the boa constrictor game. Alabama perfected it a decade ago. Georgia has perfected it in present day. It's not super pretty. It's not super explosive, especially on offense, but the victim is completely helpless. They can't move the ball. They can't move the ball. They're sitting there the snake is wrapping itself around the body. They can't move. It's tightening up. They can't move. It can't breathe. It can't move. It's getting swallowed. You get the picture. This is Georgia football in present day. It's not incredibly explosive on offense, but they have far and away the best defense in America. They have talent everywhere and they just line up and they physically overwhelm their opponents. That's why after Saturday, Georgia is 5-0 and in SEC games. And they have outscored opponents in those games 203 to 36. They are the boa constrictor until proven otherwise. However, quick disclaimer on Georgia before we get into the gambling moment of the weekend. I still need to see them go toe to toe against a really explosive offense. I-, I believe Georgia's the best team in the nation. I have a future out on them to win the national title. My money is where my mouth is. However, there's still a part in my brain that lurks. And I say, okay, they looked awesome so far. Their defense, again, so incredible. But I still remember last year and in the two games that they lost against Florida and Alabama, they were the two most explosive offenses that they faced. Maybe the two most explosive offenses in the nation, period. And they were the two teams that could actually score against Georgia's defense last year. Also the best defense in the nation a year ago, according to every advanced metric. So in those games, they didn't go out of their minds, these offenses, but they were able to put up points. And so in a game like that, Georgia looks at themselves and say, well, can you make up the gap? Offense. Those games, not even close. This year, they have not been forced into that position yet and probably will not be until the SEC title game, if they're playing Alabama or in the playoff against a team like Ohio State. And so I'm still needing to see that specific moment from this team. When they can't do the boa constrictor, when a team says, oh yeah, we feel comfortable that we can actually put up 24 points or 28 points against your defense. Can Georgia's offense make up that gap? We'll find out. Back to Saturday's game. Kentucky, again, they get boa constricted It's not particularly competitive, but in the fourth quarter, it's Georgia 30, it's Kentucky seven. So Georgia's obviously covering, covering the number and Kentucky embarks upon literally the longest drive of the season for any team in college football, 22 plays. Fourth quarter, nobody's paying attention except gamblers and they're all biting their fingernails and pulling their hair out saying, why do I bet on a sport like this that is just super funky and where... The stuff that decides what's a good bet and a bad bet, who even knows? They embark on a 22-play, 75-yard drive. It takes 11 minutes and 23 seconds off the clock. Time is dwindling. We're under 10 seconds to go. Kentucky's inside the five-yard line. They're trying to score. They don't get it. Mark Stoops calls a timeout. He literally calls a timeout on behalf of people who gambled on Kentucky. He's trying to get one for the betters, which I give him props to. I didn't bet on the line, but I like that in a coach. I make a mental note of it for future gambling reference. They run a wide receiver screen for Wandel Robinson, who scores a touchdown with four seconds left to cover the 21 and a half point spread. Georgia 13, or Kentucky 13, Georgia 30. Total still looks like it's fine. Again, the bet that I've made, I'm going uh, under. They can kick the extra point. I'll still win by half point. But wait the extra point is blocked. It looks like there's a brief moment where Georgia can return this. Instead, Georgia's celebrating running out on the field. It gets bogged down. I wipe the sweat off my brow. I go, okay. <sighs> Somehow I had to survive this bet that at no point felt like it was not going to hit. I feel for anybody who had Georgia 21 and a half because it was the boa constrictor game. They deserve to cover. However, it's not how things work in life sometimes. Actually, that's not how things work in life many times. You make the right call and the result really doesn't match up with that. That is life gambling on college football and the NFL. Now, a game that was not as close from a gambling standpoint and indeed was not as close from just an outright perspective. It came from the Big Ten on Saturday. And before I I get into that, I, I want to make note of another Big Ten team because I think they kind of line up with one another. A constant theme that I really like to talk about in the sport of college football specifically is this idea that the hardest thing for these teams, it's not to get up for the the three games on the schedule that you've circled in permanent red marker. It's to get up every single week, especially in these sleepy, sleepy spots. The 10 a.m. Big Ten Network game and the 8.30 ESPN2 Friday night game. These games that The casual fan just goes, all right, yeah, you're going to win that. I don't even need to think about it, but I'm excited for when you play Alabama in four weeks, that kind of stuff. It's the hardest thing for teams that are not the very, very, very best. And even for them, sometimes it's the hardest thing for them to consistently do. Okay. I bring this up for two reasons. First and foremost, I'm living that life with Nebraska, my football team that I root for. I won't get a ton into their game. But I think an examination of their squad is interesting in context of the Iowa Hawkeyes team that went down on Saturday because Nebraska has built up goodwill going into this most recent Saturday solely through losses, but they were close. They were hard fought, could have gone either way, tight game against Michigan, tight game against Oklahoma, tight game against Michigan State, three top 10 teams, either one, any of the three could have gone Nebraska's way. They could be three, and zero against those teams. And so Nebraska fans are looking at that saying, okay, there, that's something to believe in. We got stuff in place. And yet the two most demoralizing games of the season have come in that first spot that I described, the sleepy game that it's hard to get up for, especially when you've come this close against Michigan a week prior. It's Minnesota last Saturday. It's Illinois week one. Two games that Nebraska has now lost. Two games that I think a lot of people believe Nebraska is probably the better team. They were favored in both by Vegas. And yet coming out of the game, they're scratching their heads going, how did, how did we lose these games? It's why I'm always preaching for a team like Nebraska, for teams that are on the rise, trying to ascend up a level. Uh, it's cool when you spring a big upset. It's cool when you play a close, hard-fought game against a top 10 team. But in order to actually get stability and consistency within your program and be able to truly ascend levels, you have to start at the bottom. You have to take care of the bad teams on your schedule. For Nebraska, that means you got to beat Illinois and Minnesota and Purdue consistently. The teams that consistently beat Nebraska, even though the fan base thinks that for whatever reason, Nebraska is better than them. On field, that's not been the case. After you take care of that and you start showing consistency, then you move on. You can beat Wisconsin and show that you can beat Iowa and show that you can beat Penn State. When you've reached that level, okay, then you can move on and you can go right to the top and say, how do we beat Ohio State? That's the level of progression that each team has to go through within their own conference. That's how Nebraska right now is three and five with a plus 91 scoring margin, a truly an unbelievable stat because they've had all these close hard-fought losses and they've blown the doors off of a couple teams on their schedule. But now they're sitting here going, we're going to have another losing season and another a season that we're sitting at home during bowl season, how is this happening? It's because you have to start at the bottom and work your way up. Now, this is a long-winded way of getting into the biggest result of Saturday. The Iowa Hawkeyes hosting Purdue at Kinnick Stadium. Iowa, they're favored by 11.5. The total set at 43. And going into Saturday, Iowa had ascended up to number two in the AP poll. A lot of people thought that was fool's gold. It was not built upon sustainable football. However they got there, they were there. And I think they fell into the all-too-noticeable trap of saying, we've already beat some good teams. We have a win over Penn State. Yeah, it was aided by Sean Clifford getting injured during that game when Penn State was up, but still. uh, We have a win over Iowa State. We have a win over Indiana. We have a nice, solid, undefeated stretch that dates back into last season. And so you fall into the trap of saying, well, yeah, it's Purdue this Saturday. But we just, the casual fan looks past that and looks past that and says, well, if we just went out, yeah, well, we'll, we could beat Ohio State in the Big Ten title game. And then we're in the playoff. This would be amazing, right? The hardest thing is to get up for games like Purdue in your own home stadium when you're the number two ranked team and you come off an enormous emotional win over Penn State the week prior. So Purdue comes in. 11.5 Eleven and a half point dogs. They went out right. 24 to 7. Not really competitive game. David Bell, the Purdue wide receiver who somehow has annihilated Iowa for three consecutive seasons now. He does it again. He has 11 catches for 240 yards, one touchdown. We got the answer to what happens when Iowa is not overwhelmingly dominating the turnover margin, which they've done consistently up until Saturday. Uh, Purdue, they come into the game. They've only forced two turnovers. That's tied for fewest in the country. In Saturday's matchup, Spencer Pitches, here's four interceptions going back the other way. Uh, The Iowa defense, which in three prior Big Ten games had forced 14 turnovers, they only forced one. So you see that discrepancy. And now, much like I was talking about with Georgia earlier, okay, how do we make up this gap of this thing that we consistently rely on and was not here in this particular game? For Iowa... It wasn't there. Uh, Iowa's offense, it lacks explosion. It struggles to move the ball in general. We've known that even as they were winning because their defense covered up those warts. Saturday, that wasn't the case. So Purdue comes in, they score the big upset. Iowa, we now are going to forget about them. New teams are moving in. Cincinnati, they have the crosshairs on. And we've now seen in back-to-back weeks, the two biggest results are tied into this particular thing that I like talking about this script that continually uh, shows itself throughout the college football season. It's really hard to get up for every game. Uh, And we project down the road and say, I can't wait for Alabama-Georgia. And then last week, Alabama's on the road against Texas A&M in a game that nobody on planet Earth, myself included, thinks A&M has a chance in. They've looked atrocious. Their offense can't move the ball and then they're moving it up and down and they're scoring the upset over Alabama. And then this week, Iowa against Purdue, the same thing. We're just going, yeah, Purdue, they, they're they not, they're Purdue. They're the Boilermakers. And Iowa, yeah, they should just walk through this game. They'll probably win 24 to 7. And then they're on the other end of a 24 to 7 score. That's why it's really hard to move up levels. Because to get to the place where you are consistent enough to get up for these games and say, all right, Purdue's coming in. Well, we're going to dunk on them by 40. And then the next week against another team that's not that good. Let's say Wisconsin's here. We're going to dunk on them by 30. That's something that Alabama built an entire reputation on for the last decade. And then last week, uh, you know, they even they succumbed to it. So the line is obviously fine. I'm always talking about it. It's my favorite thing to examine. College football, true. We move into the NFL, also true. I really just want to talk about one game from Sunday because by NFL standards, it was rather bland. Um... Vikings-Panthers, crazy game. I could get into that, but I won't. The game that I'm going to concentrate on is the Dallas Cowboys and the New England Patriots. I'm definitely not going to concentrate on last night's Seahawks-Steelers game. I don't know what that was. I'm still reeling. Every time Ben Roethlisberger threw a pass, it sent a shiver down my spine. Literally, it sent a shiver down my spine. I bet the Steelers, and he would throw a ball directly into the face mask of a Steelers defender, and I would actually shiver. I would shiver (laughs) And I'd question a lot of the decisions that I made in life and in that particular game. But I don't want to talk about that. I'm getting sidetracked. I want to talk about the Cowboys and the Patriots. Patriots, they're four-point underdogs at home. Cowboys, they've been the toast of the town. The total set at 50 and a half. Crazy, 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 crazy game. Illustrates all of the things that I love about football and all of the things that are maddening about gambling on it. The difference between a good bet and a bad bet, it's just flipping a coin and saying, oh, I chose tails, to- now it's heads. Dang it. This is this is what it is. First half, you know, weird stuff's going down. Dallas, they're failing to score in the red zone. Dax throwing a pick. Right near the end of the first half, it's a 14 to 10 game. It's just under the first half total of 24 and a half. Cowboys have the ball at the two inch line. On third down, it looks like Dax scores for reasons unknown. The refs don't give it to him. On fourth down, they snap it to him and he tries to jump up and stretch the ball out and they call touchdown on the field and, oh wait, the ball's out. On replay, you can tell he barely gets jogged and the ball squirts out maybe inches before it gets to the goal line. So now the Patriots recover. No touchdown. They take a knee. They go into the half. If you had the first half over, oh, I shiver on your behalf. Now, the second half, it had everything under the sun. It had incredible plays. It had incredible moments. had gaffes. <laughs> it had Mike McCarthy rearing his ugly, ugly, ugly head, unfortunately. Um, there are two things that I really want to talk about. Cowboys, I believe, are a genuinely good team. Offense, astoundingly good. Incredibly balanced can do whatever they want. They have playmakers everywhere. Good line. Dak is one of the best quarterbacks in football. Their defense is shockingly reasonable, which I I mean is a great compliment for a defense that a lot of people, myself included, believe would be one of the five worst in football. Now, despite that, they are coached by a bozo. Both of these things can be true. They're a very good team. They're coached by a man who has a Burger King impossible burger patty for a brain. And, And he makes decisions... In a manner that an impossible burger would make. There's three minutes to go in the game. Patriots are leading 21-20. Dallas has the ball. The Cowboys have a fourth and one. They're choosing between that and a 51-yard field goal. Now, you or I, just people with brains that are not made of this fake meat that Burger King likes to sell to people, we would look at that situation and go, ah 51-yard field goal, that's by no means a gimme. Fourth and one, you got maybe the best offense in football. You can run, you can pass in equal measure. You got two tailbacks who are very capable of running. You got a quarterback who can run. You got about eight wideouts who can get open at any given moment. If you get the first down, you can pretty much run the clock down to wherever you want, or you can score a touchdown. The main point is you're in the driver's seat. If you attempt the field goal, Uh, You still got to make it. If you do, you're only up by two. New England has three minutes left to go, knowing they have to try and get at least a field goal to win. Seems like this is probably an easy decision. Unfortunately, we know the way that an impossible patty thinks. We've seen it for time and all eternity when he coached Green Bay. We're seeing it in present day, even as the Cowboys are now a five-in-one team and one of the better teams in the NFC. Uh. They are being held back by their coach who sends the field goal unit out to kick a 51-yard field goal. Greg Zerline blasts it left. And this coaching decision is saved because the Cowboys, they make plays. And Trayvon Diggs comes in and picks off the worst Mac Jones pass of the day, returns it, pick six. Oh no, now Dallas is going to cover. They're up by five. I'm pulling my hair out because I bet New England plus four, and I thought it was going to cover all game. And then first play from scrimmage on New England's ensuing possession. Trayvon Diggs forgets to cover his guy. Kendrick Bourne, 75-yard touchdown, one play. Now I'm back out in front. Patriots go for two. They get it. They're up three. Dallas, they're making incredible plays. I mean, again, the line between winning and losing bets outright doesn't matter. It's shocking in the NFL. Dallas, fourth and four on the... What ends up being the game tying drive with a minute and change to go. Dak incredible fourth down pass to Cedric Wilson, incredible catch. Nether great pass to CeeDee Lamb to set up the game time field goal. Take it into overtime. New England gets the ball. Yes, I, I'm fired up about it. Uh refs miss a face mask on third down for New England. They punt. I'm still going, okay, Dallas only needs a field goal. I know that Mike McCarthy, he just wants to kick a field goal. It's the number one thing we know about this Burger King patty brained man. And Dak Prescott, unfortunately, is better than his head coach. And CeeDee Lamb is better than his head coach. Because they call the perfect play. They get CeeDee Lamb in single coverage. Dak makes not an easy throw by any means. Rolling out off one foot right on the money to CeeDee Lamb. Catches it. Runs in for the touchdown. <laughs> Unreal stuff. Unreal sequence of events from really the start of the game, but with three minutes to go in regulation, you could pluck out any play and say, change that play and this drastically alters the outcome. That's the NFL. That's gambling on the NFL. Unfortunately, this time it goes against me as a man who bet the Patriots plus four. It goes against people who are Patriots fans. It goes on behalf of the Cowboys fans and people who back them. Um, That is life in this sport where the margins are almost nothing. They're slimmer than one of these beyond impossible patties that Mike McCarthy is just squashing at home over and over to alleviate some of the stress that comes from his coaching decisions. And if you truly want to understand how funky all of this can be, how things change in the blink of an eye, our perceptions, uh, reality, you name it. I'm going to close this show with one stat just to give us all a window into how fine the line is between good and bad, between winning and losing, between all the stuff that I'm constantly talking about when it comes to sports. Dallas Cowboys are 6-0 and against the spread one year after starting 0-8 against the spread. Remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel at CEO.com.